I'm Alex and this is the Geordie Guide to Happiness. Welcome to episode 19. As always, I'm here in our virtual studio with the podcast team, Kath and Chris. Hello, everyone. Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> in, in unison. Yeah. <laughs> well, well old machine man. How is everybody? Not bad, Hi. actually. Yeah, it's been it's been an odd week. I think we'll kind of skirt around the whole kind of American politics thing. Uh Although that has been very interesting, you know what was what was what was really nice this week. Uh, you know, being on the twitters and all that, um, getting a note from uh, somebody in South Africa saying how much they were enjoying mm. listening to the podcast. I thought that was that was lovely. Yeah, so I wonder. Yes. So uh, hello to our international audience that we know is at least one person. <laughs> hello, Pam. Hi, Pam. <laughs> you know who you yeah. are. <laughs> Great. What about you, Kath? What have you been up to? Um, pretty standard week, really. Nice, nice out and about, some nice walks. Um, but yesterday I came home after sitting in quite a few Zoom meetings all day and couldn't quite decide what to do with myself. And it was too early to go into evening type things. So I just stood at my kitchen sink and I got the gif out <laughs> <laughs> okay right, where is this going <laughs> and and i polished polished the kitchen sink and my taps are absolutely <laughs> and, and i i felt i felt really good about it so that was me yesterday Actually, I gave our kitchen a good clean over the weekend. I even cleaned the toaster and got all of the crumbs out. Oh, and I felt very job. virtuous. It was awful. Yeah, there was just crumbs everywhere. <laughs> Have you ever taken the hoover <laughs> not... to the toaster? Yeah, it didn't really work. But um, oh, okay. I just had to sort of turn it upside down and tip it. And yeah, it was sort of raining old bits of toast. Nice. I've noticed that there's quite a lot of good telly on at the minute. Uh, we've started watching The Mandalorian again, so yes. I've been uh, yeah, getting back into that. So uh, yep. glad that's back on TV. We are watching that too. We've also started watching X-Files right back from the beginning, from 1994. <laughs> oh, that's a blast. Or whatever, isn't it? That's a blast from the past. I'm sort of introducing my daughter to it. Yeah, my new best friend. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> there was some seriously scary... Uh, episodes there in x-files though i remember watching them yeah i remember the, the quality kind of dipped a little bit i think the point Later where Mulder disappeared from the series it sort of kind of lost mm -hmm. a little bit of its little bit of its way but we're a long way from that we've got about four or five seasons to go oh well my just before just before the second lockdown kicked in I was in the mind charity shop mm -hmm. and x-files the movie was there and so I, I brought it home, sort of. Oh, and I had a happy, a happy Saturday afternoon watching. So that. Was 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 that the, the X Files movie with the bees or with Billy Connolly? Uh, she did. Oh, I can't tell you what the plot is. Ah, no spoilers. I remember going to see that live at the cinema. Yeah. I suspected that it was a niche film when they put it in the smallest screen of of the multiplex. <laughs> and, there were about 10 people in the audience <laughs> and some of them were, were obviously died in the world X-File fans. I was more fascinated by the audience than watching them. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, on that note, mm-hmm. shall we introduce this week's <laughs> guest interview? <laughs> yes, the truth is out there. The truth. Oh, all right, then. Yeah. This week's episode is with Bill Corcoran. I had a great conversation with Bill, who tells us how the NUFC Food Bank got started just a few years ago to support the West End Food Bank. He also talks about what makes Newcastle a great city, as well as what personally brings him happiness. So enough of me talking. Here's Bill. Bill, a very warm welcome to the Geordie Guide to Happiness. Thank you for joining me. We've had a couple of uh, technical glitches so far, but we're <laughs> we'll hopefully get through. How how are you this evening? Yeah, fine. You know, as I said, Newcastle won on Sunday. The, the weather was nice. I've been out on the motorbike. Um, I live in the greatest and most civilised city on earth. The sunset over the quayside was beautiful. I was at the food bank today. They're getting record numbers of donations. Um, you know, things could be worse. And I, I'm, I'm blessed compared to lots of other people in this world. So, you know, canny, as they say. <laughs> so would you describe yourself as a happy Geordie right now then? Oh, uh, I think I'll be happy when the black and white flag flies over Buckingham Palace and uh, we've won a few trophies and uh, peace and justice reigns in this world. So, yeah, then we'll, then we'll be happy uh, when the work has is, is, is all been done, but reasonably contented, shall we say. <laughs> so would you mind for our listeners just sort of introducing yourself and just telling, telling me a little bit about who you are and, and uh, what, what you get up to? Uh, well, my name's Bill Corcoran. Bill's an easy one, named after me. Grandfather, who was a rescue man down the pit, who worked at uh, the Towers, which then became the Mitre Pub, which then became um, Ant and Dex's place at Biker Grove, <laughs> is now a, 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 an Islamic uh, school, and is next door to the Newcastle United, sorry, the West End Food Bank. My surname's Corcoran. It means born in a bug with a red face in, in okay. Gaelic. I'd love to believe that's true. Uh, somebody told me dad that at two o'clock in the morning in a pub in Ballyhornis, County Mayo, when he was playing the fiddle. So I'm, I'm lucky. I've always thought I was lucky because I had lots of, uh, of stories about um, where my grandparents came from and what they did, and they were always very interesting, but they, they were always full of love. And so even though I'm old enough to have, you know, I suppose got coal in from the coal bunker. I remember when we didn't have power in the house for a year because we were skinned. Uh, I remember, you know, bomb scares in the 70s, power cuts, racist chanting at St. James's Park. I've always been surrounded by 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 love. And generally speaking, I know, I know 2020 has been an absolute weird year, mm-hmm. but I promise you it's a lot better, in my opinion, than, than many other years I've lived through. 1980 wasn't great. Uh, the music was better. But, you know, that's just the way yin, yang and, and seesaws work. So I've always been lucky. Uh, I've had good friends. As I say, uh, this is a city where you can talk to people at bus stops or uh, even now with wearing masks and, and get on with people. And if you go around and be positive, trying to help, you'll find many comrades will try and do the same thing for you and it'll get you through. So you've kind of touched on this already, but what is it then that that makes Newcastle a special place, the place to be? Um, An incredible history. You're talking about a city that witnessed the end of the Roman Empire, that how the Vikings 
that fought against the Normans, that destroyed the Scottish nation, even though as, as Bernicia, we were part of what became the Scottish nation in many ways and the English nation. So we've always been slightly apart and that's been a thing. You know, if we go to London, they'll kind of go away from and they'll go, they'll, they'll know where we're from, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and we'll kind of go, yeah, well, it's, it's all right down here, but not as good as home. Now, that might just be ignorant bluster, but when you can say you come from the city that had the first electric light in the world on its streets, mm-hmm. that when the Industrial Revolution happened, and that, let's remember what it was. It wasn't about putting children into factories like they had in Manchester. It was about getting food cheaper from the countryside so the cities could grow and people could live with a better standard of living. And that was because of you know railway transport and energy. And that was what Townside did. It built the ships, it built the locomotives, it built the railways that made the world move. And then it built the electric light to light them. And it even invented the windscreen wipers on the car, invented on, on, on the way back from a trip to Wembley in 1911. It wasn't Wembley in those days. I, I and, love that fact. I love the yeah. fact that the windscreen wiper was invented here. I so love it. So it's because yeah. the lads and lasses have got to get down to watch the match <laughs> miles away. And we've all been there stuck in some roundabout in Buckinghamshire thinking, oh my God, the, the bus is broken down. You wave a scarf and somebody will pick, stop and pick you up. Now, you know, <laughs> Maybe it's because we've we've always felt like a capital city of ourselves, with the right to stand in front of anywhere, anybody from anywhere, and say, "Well, this is how we do it here." We don't have to look at how London does it because, frankly, we've done it better. We had better shops than them first. We had electric light first. We paid our people properly first, and so our urban experience was far more civilized than their urban experience, and. Uh, the rest of it was, well, you look at the kind of things our people f- were famous for, male and female, they were famous for courage and humour, incredible mm-hmm. courage, you know, fought the longest war ever against the Scots for 700 years. Before that, I've mentioned the Romans, the Vikings, the whole lot of them. Um, so we are justifiably proud of what we are, not because we're saying we're better than anybody else particularly, because... You know, Geordies were invented probably around about the end of the 1880s or something. Before that, we're an immigrant city. There's 10,000 people living here in the 1790s. There's 450,000 people living here in the in the 1910s. We came from Ireland, like my family. Uh, we came from Scotland. We came from, well, some people came from Germany. A lot of people came from Cornwall as, as tin miners. Mm-hmm. So we were very much an immigrant city that learned how to live together in peace and harmony. I think it's something to do with having a small city centre which means you cannot really get too ghettoized. Everybody's got to share the big market. Everybody's got to have a drink. <laughs> and you cannot be, you know, and, and, and yeah, there's going to be the odd battle and dispute here and there. But after a while, you discover, to use the old cliche, what unites us is far more important than what divides us. Mm-hmm. And, um, and thankfully, we've got one football team. So we all <laughs> cluster around that. And that is very, very important. None more so... Than, than right now when we, you know, we focus the football team's support around the, the food bank to make sure that whatever the country's doing to us, uh, whatever, where, why somebody thought of universal credit and why somebody thought it should be applied to Newcastle, well, all right, we can't control that, but we could control the response. And if you look at the that wonderful, um, the Rennick War Memorial, and it says... 1914, the response. Well, I would say that 
if you look at the response of Newcastle and the Northeast in general, the response to adversity is always unity. Mm-hmm. The response to hard times is always solidarity. You know, the response to poverty is always, you know, a bit of charity, although it's not a nice word. The response that the people have when tested is always something that gladdens your eye. Uh, it makes me feel very humble to be part of the, the response of the food bank because I'm always almost surprised by the generosity of people, even though I've been so close to it for the last four years. It still humbles me. It still surprises me. And it still shocks me to think that we have to do this in this day and age when it should not be, it shouldn't be necessary to have families queuing out in the street in the cold weather just to get fed, you know. Um, And I don't care what the parents have done. I'm not being naive. There'll be good people. There'll be bad people. But the kids haven't done anything to deserve that. So that's that's the uh, (laughs) that's me. I'm in the middle of it. Privileged to be there. Uh, wish I didn't have to be involved in a food bank, and um, but interested in the world, interested in the city, and interested in the people. So when we before we started recording, we 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 had a bit of a chat beforehand, and you were saying that one of the things that brings you happiness is um, community, that that sense of community. And you mentioned there feeling you know humbled to to be involved in in the food bank. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about the food bank and um, why being involved does bring you happiness? We got involved with the West End Food Bank in 2016, mate of mine called Colin Whittle, um, who's got the best Geordie accent you've ever heard in your life. And he's he's a solicitor. He's a wonderful bloke. And he said to me and my pal Steve Hasty, who lives up the road, and he, Steve's on the, on the committee of the Irish Centre in town, and uh, he said, you know, we should do we should do one of them food banks like the Scousers do. And we're like, <laughs> we looked at each other and went, Aye, you're probably right. Like, you know, and it was right. it was at the time when I, Daniel Blake, had come out. And and I, of course, being a six foot seven, twenty stone bloke, was completely terrified to watch Daniel I Daniel Blake. I, I kind of knew that people weren't going to get married in New York City at Christmas at the end mm-hmm. and go off and live mm-hmm. happily ever after. So I, I did the I did the customary thing about all blokes who live in, in Egypt in denial and didn't go and see it. So instead of which, we we went to see uh, Shona Alexander from the Newcastle Citizens Advice Bureau. And I know Shona because I, I volunteer there. I said, look, Shona, we, we, we're going to try and do a food bank. That's literally... You know, stupid thing to say. I had illusions about going around getting tins of beans on people, off people and put them in a cardboard box and putting them behind the bar of the Irish Centre and then, you know, I don't know what I'd do then. It'd be like, well, <laughs> go and find some poor people to give them to, you know. So that's that's how scientific it was. And Shona said, right, you need to meet Mike Nixon uh, from the West End Food Bank. And Shona is great because she knows everybody and she's been around and done it for many, many years incredibly kind and competent person. And she introduced us to this very self-effacing, quiet man in a in a kind of quilted anorak. And he just blew our minds because um, they, they made me speak because I, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but I talk too much. So no, I've not am. noticed. Sorry, <laughs> right, well, right. don't 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 say anything if you do notice. You know, it makes me self conscious. <laughs> um, and uh, so they they got me to speak, and Mike just said, 
yes, Bill, I don't really need a tin of beans off you. I need 10 pence because I can buy a tin of beans for 10 pence and, you know, then I can decide when and how and where to buy it. And we're like, oh, right, okay. And then um, he said, the other the other thing is 50% of our food, he said, comes from London. And we're Newcastle United fans. You know, we've been on the terraces up and down the country singing nasty things about London. We don't want to be in a position where we're having to beg for assistance from London, of all places. I mean, good God. And he told us that the West End Food Bank at the time, it had about 220 people following it on Twitter. You know, let's face it. Even though at the time, this is after Daniel Blake had come out, it was Mm. possibly one of the most talked about institutions in the city. You can't exactly advertise a food bank. What do you do? Mm. What do you do? You say, hi there, for all your food bank needs, come along to the West End Food Bank. We promise to treat you, you know what I mean? It's not like that. It's not that kind of thing. It's a place where people go to when they've been defeated by life, when they're ashamed of themselves, when they're dirty and hungry and humiliated and they're feeling desperately vulnerable and and guilty because their kids are hungry and looking at them, you know, and going, Daddy, why why are we hungry and all that? And and the the thing became, it became very apparent very quickly that we were just going to do something about this. And the only way we had to do with it, because we weren't experts at child poverty or provision of charitable donations to poor people and deciding who should get help and whatever and, and how to get help. That, that, that wasn't anything we knew about, but I'll tell you one thing we did know about. We knew how to connect with Newcastle United fans and uh, and we knew just as we'd gone through the process that as soon as we, as soon as the people found out there's little kids in Elzig and Benwell and Biker and Kenton and all over the city and all over the region going to bed hungry, they'd do the same thing we did and do something about it. The great thing about a football match is you can lose yourself. You can forget about your daily tribulations. You're not sitting there going, ooh, I need to consider my minimum standard of performance at work. You're thinking, my God, please don't let them score against us or whatever, that lousy referee or whatever you're thinking but you're not really tuned into the daily geopolitical matters of the day, except when you think about the fact that there's kids over the hill, just up the road from St. James's Park, going hungry. Mm-hmm. And we decided we couldn't deal with that. So luckily, Mike Nixon um, had a copy of I, Daniel Blake on him. And he said, oh, Ken Loach says I can just show this anytime I want to anybody I want. And we, we of course, being strictly... Uh, you know, bureaucratic about our our due diligence went, oh, all right. <laughs> so <laughs> so we, we thought, well, that'll be fine. You know, no, if, if Ken Loach, the director, says, okay, to show it. And Mike, so we, we, we put it on at the Irish Centre and uh, we, we said, there's no charge for coming, but we want you to bring money for donation and, uh, and food. And we got a table full of food and we made 806 quid. And there was about 100 fellas turned up and we got some of the actors that had been on the screen. Um, and we we kind of, we watched the film. And these are the kind of lads, frankly, let's face it, that, that have been to away matches before. They're not much scared of many things, you know. They'll face down a group of, you know, hooligans from Central Europe, no bother. But the end of that film... 
the 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 the, the place was subdued, and there was a great hush. I get on the stage and say, uh, "Listen, lads and lasses, let's just have a minute, and then we're coming back in five minutes, and we're going to do something about this." And that knowledge that just up from St James's Park, you go up Stanhope Street, you know. You know, you you go towards west the West Road. You turn right, and in a fairly down at heel, end of nineteenth century church, red brick, bit damp, nothing particularly impressive about it. Especially, there are people who are literally queuing up because they're hungry and have got no other alternative but to be there. And we had to do something about that as football fans because we go around the country, we go around Europe, or we did back in the day when we had a decent team and a decent uh, ownership, singing how wonderful our city is, you know? Um, we, 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 had, we, we had to do something about it, and we did. And so we had our first collection on the 3rd of February 2017. We played Derby County. We got a fluky 1-0 win. Matt Ritchie scored a deflected goal. And we, we, we raised a 1,000 quid that first Saturday. And we were looking at each other, thinking, my God, and fortunately, because Mike Nixon of the West End Food Bank, which unlike our ramshackle collection of lads um, who knew how to shout and ball at at Newcastle fans, it meant we didn't have to set up a registered charity because they'd done it and they Mm -hmm. had proper charity collection buckets and with with lids on and stickers and all that sort of stuff because we'd have have been, God knows what we'd have got, we'd have got cardboard boxes probably, um, my, my, my mate uh, leave it to the professionals yeah well Dave Kelly who started <laughs> the, the, the Liverpool uh, food bank with Ian, Ian Byrne who's now an MP for West Derby in Liverpool they started off with a wheelie bin said they got more trip wrappers and beer can, oh, cans God. the first time you know but people slowly got to, 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 to work it out And but fortunately we'd have to do that and we could give them the money straight away and it goes into some proper charitable mm-hmm, account mm-hmm. overseen by proper trustees and and so we just had to sort of shout at people and say give us the money and so how, how how did that feel then that that very first collection yeah, well, I'll tell that you, you'd I'll organized tell you how it felt it felt like it felt like sparkles of gold and love danced in mm-hmm. the air mm-hmm. and that's not me just making it up that's how it felt i remember thinking that when the first time we collected advent calendars and we suddenly, we were, you know, we're talking to the food bank and they're, they're, they're great because they're thinking, oh, great, you lot have got some food and you've got some money and it's good. And then one of the things we thought, oh, it's Christmas, you know, can we get some Christmas presents for you? It's exactly the sort of thing a kind of non-professional amateur types like us would have thought of. And they said, no, we can't because we don't have the ability to sort the Christmas presents out, apportion them, and give them to each kid in the way that they should have, you know. Um, that's Santa Claus's job. They don't. They can't do that sort of stuff. Mm. So we said, well, what about advent calendars? And they went, oh, why? Yeah, because last year, all the kids only got an advent calendar on the twelfth of December when they went down at four for a pound. And that's one of the things that we want to to happen. The big word we have at the food bank is not happiness; it's dignity. Mm-hmm. And it comes from what's written on our black and white flag, um, but that dignity banner was something that we got for the anti-Pegida march when a gang of German Nazis dis- 
thought that Newcastle was a good place to start another one of their vicious, fascist, nasty movements. And the stupid idiots thought that started on a Saturday when Newcastle's at home, Aston Villa, and Papis Dembasise, our our wonderful Muslim centre forward, was knocking them in right, left and centre. So <laughs> 4,000 people turned up against 200 of those idiots. And fortunately, uh, we as Newcastle United fans were involved and uh, we got the crowd chanting, Newcastle United shall never be defeated. And that's... You know, that's something that will live long with me because it came from people of all races, all genders, all groups, all persuasions. And that is something really important to be a football fan with because when you're a football fan, it doesn't matter a damn who scores. They're wearing the black and white strip. We support them. Doesn't matter who the person next to you in the crowd is. Same thing. Mm-hmm. If they're cheering for us, they're, they're, they're one of us. They're part of us. It goes back to what my grandfather said, you leave nobody behind. So we don't say to somebody, oh, we're not, we're not celebrating that goal because that man who scored it was a black Islamic man like Chick Teoti when he scored the fourth goal against Arsenal to, to, to bring us back from 4-0 down to 4-4. Do you think anybody who's supporting Newcastle in the world gave two hoots about his religion, his politics, what he likes to do, the colour of his skin? No. So football, football and the food bank mm-hmm. were natural fits, not just because... It's what Disraeli called the politics of preoccupation. It's because football is a multinational, multi-religious sport, and it has the same in the fan base, which is worldwide. And the food bank feeds people irrespective of anything. The only qualification they've got to have is hunger. And that's always been very important to us. And it's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why we've got communications with other football food banks, even Sunderland. We got a message from the Sunderland Food Bank saying that whilst they might disagree with us about everything, whilst they might support every team that we play against and want us to lose every time we take the field, on this thing, no, they were absolutely at one with us. And we're absolutely at one with them about this because this is hunger in our cities Mm -hmm. and it cannot be tolerated and will not be accepted. And being a football fan means you support people in your club from different parts of the world, different parts of this country. So... It was a natural fit to have the food bank, the Newcastle United fans food bank, help with the biggest food bank in the country. And as I say, the reaction is you see the flickers of gold in the air and it's just because it's a low winter sun and you see a bunch of men who probably don't take too much care of themselves. They're not bothered about their personal appearance too much. And they turn up with 10 advent calendars and they say, there's a fiver because there's not much chocolate there. And it's it's that'll be good for the bands. And you know that it means that one of those advent calendars will go to every single one of the kids in the food bank who will then be able on the 1st of December to open the thing that says one, have a little bit of chocolate, have some breakfast because the breakfast will come from the food bank. Then they go to school and they'll feel exactly the same as every other kid in that class. Yeah. And that's what we want. We want them to have dignity. We want mm-hmm. the parents to know that they've got an advent calendar, that they've got dignity. And and that dignity gets them through. And I think, you know, happiness is a reward for what happens when you when you do your homework, you do your thing, you, you smile at the end of the day, and you suddenly realize, my God, this is this is the thing called a home. And outside yeah. we've got a thing called a neighborhood and a community. Mm-hmm. And uh, and down the road we've got that team, 
and all around us, we've got friends. And again, part of the thing with the food bank is the volunteers have come and helped us. I mean, incredible people. Some of them not even football fans, but they've come along and stood outside in all sorts of weathers. And I'm not qualified to tell you that we've healed the sick particularly, but I know people who came along and they, shall we say, were worried about the way that they had been treated by other people and they didn't really trust people. And all of a sudden, you got 50,000 Geordies walking past smiling at them. Mm. and that gives them great confidence. Mm. Six months later, they're telling me that they feel great. And because of the positivity and the love and the generosity that they see every fortnight at St. James's Park, you know, I really long for the day we don't have to do it. I really do. I, I, I kind of, you know, I'd, I'd love somebody to come along and write a play about Tyneside in 2040 and say, oh, yeah, did, did you like, did, did there used to be a food bank here? And we can go... Yeah, yeah, but that was years ago, you know? Yeah. A little bit like when you go past, you go around the Swan House Roundabout and there's a thing saying Soup Kitchen, 1870. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You go, well, what, mm-hmm. what was that? Like I did, mm-hmm. I said to my mum when I was a kid and she said, oh, don't you don't have to worry about that, that was years ago. Yeah. And I want people to say the same thing about the food bank. If in, if in what, five years' time, people are still going, oh, yeah, let's come along and see what the food bank think of this, it will be a grotesque failure. And and we will we will regard it as such, you know. But the response has always been exemplary, mm-hmm. and it's about time it was better known for that. Um, but you know, we're busy with food banks and stuff. Yeah. So you, you you touched there on 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 dignity and that example of the the advent calendars and people's generosity and love. What is happiness to you? Oh man, the minute. Sitting down reading a book, probably <laughs> having time to a bit do of quiet that. time. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I know we're in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. Look, hey, at the minute, happiness is would be the end of the pandemic. Mm. Um, so you could you could think about the world again. Um, there's no point in thinking about, yeah, what would I like to do? I'd like to go out and have a drink, maybe go to the bar. Um, mm. Can I do that at the moment? Not really, because I'm scared I might infect my mummy. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's not very resilient to things like that. So uh, happiness, go to a gig, go and go and drink beer at dawn. After I, I, I don't know. I mean, but the the main thing is it's presupposed upon the the comfort of others. I do not want to go out and have a nice. You know, imagine the days, the, the carefree days before we knew things, when you could go and have a drink at the Townside Cinema and come out. And, you, and, and now I couldn't do that because I'd worry mm-hmm. about what's gone on there. Mm-hmm. You, you walk down the alleyway and there's, there's five beggars. You know, can you really be happy when you're walking past people in that situation? Not especially. Um, so happiness to me is is the is dignity for all. I think Clement Attlee said, no, no cake for any till there be bread for all. So I'm not bothered about the cake. I just want to have enough bread and, and other people have enough bread as well. Yeah. Because within that, We'll all smile at each other. I think if you go some, you go to some rough pub somewhere, you'll find that people smile at each other a lot. You go to you go to kind of not that we go to pubs anymore, but you, you go to some sort of I don't know a trendy pub, some sort of uh, place that does uh, sort of place where you get things things on plates that aren't made of plates. You know, you get things <laughs> on slates or something. You know, everybody looks miserable. You know, it's 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 kind of it's part of the rules, isn't it? You know, they've got to look like they're slightly sniffy about it. They're just about to complain about something, you know. 
and you go to you go to a pub on Shields Road and everybody smiles at each other. And uh, so I just want that kind of thing where I can sit in the corner of a room being completely ignored, watching people smile at each other. And uh, then maybe I'd, I'll, I'll have a couple of bevies and enjoy myself, you know, and the rest <laughs> will work itself out. Mindfulness is something that's important to you, isn't it, Bill? We, we talked about that um, the last time we, we caught up. It's, and- yeah, it's something I'm very interested in because I know so little about it, you know. Um, I, I've walked past all of those magazines and not really read any. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I did a thing a couple of years ago at St. James's Park. They appealed for men of a certain age and <coughs> stature uh, who who wanted to regain, you know, a bit of control of exercise and stuff. And uh, it was called the 12th Man Programme. And it was very cunning because they knew that if, uh, if the council or the doctor said, uh, hi, Bill, would you come along to this special program? We want to talk about your mental and physical health. I'd probably, I'd go and hide in the attic or something. You know, are you kidding? <laughs> I am a good there. Um, but this is Newcastle United, so of course I turned up. Yeah. And uh, they, they, they just got us to do a few bits of exercise. And as part of that, they'd sit us down and go, right, you know, how are you sleeping at the minute? And we'd all be going, oh, you know, phew, difficult, isn't it? You know, you, you're so tired, but you can't sleep because you're overtired, because you're stressed out, and then you wake up and you're knackered, and you've got to go to, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff. And um, what's your diet like? Well, Jesus, you know, you eat whatever's there, you know, preferably deep fried, you know, fast as possible, as hot as possible. It, it was almost like, when's the last time anybody had a vegetable? We're all looking at each other going, oh, oh yeah, I remember <laughs> carrots, yeah, that's it, yeah. And and it was, it was quite pitiful, and it was like, when's the last time anybody didn't exercise? And it was like, well... Yeah, um, I, I carried the shopping out of the car, you know, and it was all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And it was just, and so they got us to do the exercise, which was was hilarious. We did some patently absurd things like playing hockey, which got, I, I, I cracked a rib, nearly killed a few. Uh, cycling, I was just a danger. I mean, I, I nearly wiped out three joggers. You know, <laughs> you know they, they took us down to the cycle hub on the quayside and got us to cycle along the thing you know and it cycles is just dangerous you kind of you know there's no noise of the engine you got no mirrors on so nobody can hear you coming yeah you're creeping <laughs> up to people the bell doesn't work particularly well so i'm shouting get out of the way i can't stop this thing and there's some poor joggers trying to jump out the way you know um we did badminton which was farcical we did as i say hockey which was ridiculous we did the go to the gym bit and that's that was weird. That's like people dressed in spandex looking at the mirrors that flex the muscles. I wasn't sure about that at all. Uh, walking football, which was great, but takes an awful lot of exercise of, of organisation. Um, we did the, uh, it, the Newcastle United used to do a thing every Wednesday. I don't think they'll do it now. Where you go to the plinth on the Gallagher end and they have a kind of uh, exercise session for anybody who wants to turn up at 5.30 on a Wednesday night. Right. And they did that, and that half killed me because I just hadn't done anything like that. And then they took us to the uh, the cunningly named Advanced Fighting Centre on High Bridge, just up near the, the Beehive Pub, and uh, introduced us to John, who taught us, well, you know, I'd say he's taught us how to box. He'd probably say he taught us how to stand properly and, and not fall <laughs> over. We did that and we carried on doing that. And I, I love that. I, I mean, the one miss I have from um, from lockdown, et cetera, is not being able to go to John's gym every every Monday and 
hit bags and uh, and and do various sparring things. Although I've told him I'm not getting in the ring, even though he tells me he wants me to. I I, I love that. But whilst mm. we were doing the physical stuff, Ollie Bell, who does that thing, who's a great lad, he talked to us about, well, how do you feel? How are you sleeping? What's your diet like? Well, this is what you do. You you eat a hand size of carbohydrate. You eat a palm size of of um, of protein, and eat as many vegetables as you want. And we're all going, oh right, okay. You know, I mean, the last diet advice I had before that was I went to the doctor because I bust my leg and I put on a stone, and the doctor says, oh, just when you go shopping, just eat anything less than five percent fat. So. I bought a shopping trolley full of oven chips and put on another stone, you know, obviously. Oh, so God. Now, the, the truth was, and I've lost four stone, but and people go, oh, you must feel fantastic and all that. Actually, I feel weaker and colder, so I don't feel, just because I can buy jeans from Asda now that fit me, you know, I don't have to go to the <clears throat> specialist department at uh, Slater <laughs> Menswear anymore. That wasn't a big deal for me. The big deal was having just a bit of time to myself and and knowing that, you know, if it's a Tuesday night or a Monday night between 6 to 7.30, that was for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that everybody has to have. They have to have some aspects of their life which are theirs and, and almost theirs alone or theirs to go and do something different. And, um, you know... If you if you kind of live a life, I've I've talked to people who they're very successful, they're reasonably affluent, you know, and certainly by the standards of people at the food bank, amazingly affluent, but they're desperately unhappy because they sort of live this life of pressure and stress all the time. So I don't think happiness and mindfulness is anything. Yeah, it's got something to do with money if you're starving, sure, mm. but you've got to feel like you have a role, and and I'm lucky because I've always been given roles with my dad making me set up PA systems for him or help out with doing gigs and events or fortunate in having friends who, who need help. It's it's weird. If you ever want to feel needed, have a PA system. People will always uh, need to, to yeah, uh, they'll all want to borrow it. And you say, no, you're no way. I'll come along and operate it, but you're not borrowing it. So uh, it's, it's, it's like owning a Ford Transit. If you want a Ford Transit, you, you always yeah. have things to do on a Saturday, moving people's settees. <laughs> So it's um, it's it's a great thing if you're if you're that way inclined. So how do you know when you're happy then? Um, I probably work it out afterwards. You know I, <laughs> that retrospective. <laughs> yeah, the retrospective back. thing. Go, oh, wasn't that great? You know, because because yeah. I mean I, I don't know. I think I think happiness is something that almost has to creep on you by accident. And uh, if you go out looking for it, you know, you're thinking, oh, I know, I'll I'll go and buy the paper and I'll go and sit down somewhere. It's, say if I go out and I think, right, it's Saturday morning, I'm going to go buy a motorbike magazine, I'm going to go and sit in the back room with my cup of tea and listening to something on the radio I like, something will always go wrong. The phone will ring and it'll be some disaster and my mum will say, oh, no, I've, I've, I haven't got my, I haven't got my thing out of the chemist or there'll be some problem. And so... I, I honestly, I don't know, maybe this is just too much experience. Maybe my, my phone rings too much. But I think you've got to be prepared if you see something. And it could be, I mean, at the minute, I'm just thinking, imagine the day when we have warm weather and you can sit outside and just have a cup of tea, you know, and and not not freeze to death, you know, or whatever, you know. Um, just, or, or you can just be in the town 
and and you can sit outside at Grey's Monument and just watch mm-hmm. the world go by. I mean, to be honest, last year I'd probably go, oh, what a really boring thing to do. Now I just ache to do something like that, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and just talk to strangers at random. Oh, no, not, not quite. That's a bit creepy, but you know what I mean? Um, so I think happiness is something you've got to be ready to cling on to. Um, I, I don't know, like like one of those like, like those sticky things that fall on you and stick to you. You've got to be ready to go. Ah, oh, look, there's a, there's there, that looks good, because if you try working at it, you you pressurize yourself. I, I've met yeah. loads of rich people who are desperately unfulfilled, and this the, the reason is is because they say, well, look, we got the private jet, we went to Paris, and you know we we went for this fantastic meal, didn't really like it. I'm going, well, you know, why was that? Well, you know, it was a bit, I don't know. And I'm going, well, what did you really like? Oh, we, we ended up somewhere by accident, had a pulled pork sandwich with gravy. It was fantastic. Well, you know, so sometimes you've got to go out with the, the feeling that I think I'm ready to accept happiness if it happens to me. And if duty happens to me, well, I'll discharge that. And if work goes on, uh, and I think you've got to wake up in the morning and go, I really am going to try and enjoy today. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you can't all the time, and I know that. But I, 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 one thing I learned from the 12th Man program was just because your mental health is okay, just because you can take a box and say, yes, acceptable, you have passed, doesn't mean to say it can't be better. And it, it gets better by smiling, gets better by enjoying it, by just taking the small victories, the small pleasures in life. And sometimes you've got to go looking for them. Sometimes you've got to think, oh, you know what? I'm going to close the book on that. It's just, it, it, it's too difficult. It's something at work I can't deal with or something that's going wrong with somebody else's life. Uh, well, let's do something we can do. You know, in the end, we're human beings on this planet. I think that sometimes you just have to say, we're only, we're only you know, we're only kids. We're only bands. We're only, we're only people doing our best. You can only carry so much. Don't sweat it too much, you know. And and now and again, you've got to take to take some time off. Or you, otherwise, you're no use to anybody. Give people a bit of leeway. You know, we can't all be perfect all the time. We all will. Every single one of us will mistake, make mistakes. You know, every single one of us has done something in their lives, whether got caught or not, that would make them look foolish, ridiculous, bad, sad, or mad in in the eyes of the general public, me included. Again, forgive people. Let them off a bit. People can make mistakes and say the wrong things. It doesn't make them bad people. And if they're bad people now, they might be good people tomorrow. You know, so it's, you just got to think of it like that without getting too, you know, too, too, um, I don't know, too dogmatic, too pedantic. So you mentioned um, at the very top of the interview that you'd, you'd been out on your motorbike. Is that right? I have. Um, you know, you, you're an, Obvious NUFC fan, uh, supporter. Um, what else brings you happiness? You know, that sol- you mentioned solitude there before, having time to yourself. Uh, what what other- brings me happiness? I mean, I suppose mm, the bad side like of it. What you like to do, yeah. Yeah, when, I, 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 when Newcastle lose, I used to read bad things about history. You know, I used to... <laughs> <laughs> so to make yourself always, feel better. Yeah, I go, oh, <laughs> okay. yeah, well, you know... It was pretty bad that getting beat two one by Southampton. But hey, if you were if you were getting if you were being attacked by the Mongol cavalry and Merv in the thirteenth century, <laughs> things were a lot worse. You know, so, so I literally would read 
bad things, you know, um, you, you read One Life of the Day of Ivan Denisovic or something like that, you know, and you're kind of thinking, <laughs> I think life is, life's happiness is about the small things. I, I, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day and saying, you know, when you, when you, you know, when you go out and you, and, and it might be a lousy day and you get rained on and you stand in some cow pot and, you know, <laughs> you get nettled and, you know, and all that. Yeah. You come in, you come into a warm house. Mm-hmm. And you feel, you think, my God, instead of looking at the house and thinking what a, what a messy house it is, because mine is, <laughs> um, you, you go, well, it, it's a warm house. Mm-hmm. It's, it's where I live. It's great, yeah. you know. And, uh, and if you don't leave the house, you just sit there thinking, oh, God, I need to sort that out. I need to paint that. I need to fix that curtain or deal with whatever it is. It, it gives you that sense of, of homecoming. And mm. in the end, look, you know, you want to feel happy, go into a hospital and walk out because there's plenty of people who go in and they don't, mm. you know, and, and it'll give you that feeling of dress rehearsal. Now you can walk out. What are you going to do now? Mm. Go and have a cup of tea. Go and enjoy yourself. Go and listen to something beautiful on the radio. Go and sing a song or, or go and watch the, the ocean waves come in on on, uh, on Tynemouth Pier and, and watch them crashing and smell the ozone and, and see the grandeur of majesty, look at the sky at night and thinking we are a rock hurtling through space. We're in a spaceship going through the, the universe. And one day we're going to lie on our deathbeds full of the same wonder. The only permanent things we have are our memories, our thoughts, our love, our emotions, the poetry, the creativity that we leave behind us. They're the things that show we're human. Well, a great note to end on. Is there anything, I'm just sort of thinking if, people have been listening and they want to help the West End Food Bank, the NUFC Food Bank. How can people do that? Just um, at the minute, give us a couple of quid would be really handy. Um, and I mean a couple of quid. We can feed a family of four for a five or a week. We can buy a tin of beans for 10 pence. We can uh, we can feed a single man for three quid a week. Um, and we have to. And we think the problem's going to get a lot worse in January and February. I'll be candid with you. We're probably all right till then. It might have been a bit of a surprise to the government that there was a half-term holiday in October. But uh, we knew about it. We also know there's going to be a Christmas holiday at Christmas. I'm not sure if Boris has been told that yet. And we budgeted for that and we're ready and we're going to be all right. But we're going to need help in January, February. We probably can't have any more volunteers because of covid but we, we would like to have advent calendars this month if anybody's got any spare advent calendars, if they could possibly drop them off at the West Road, the Church of the Venerable Bede, or if they can go to the, the headquarters of the food bank, which is the, the Porter Cabin on, on Benwell Lane. Just Google Newcastle West End Food Bank and it'll tell you all the required things. Um, if they see any one of us talk, I, I always say to people, come and look at the food bank. In four years of standing outside St. James's Park and collecting money and food and, and, and female sanitary products and things like that, we have never once had anybody saying anything bad to us or any one of our collectors. And we've got Asian collectors, we've had visibly Islamic collectors, black or white collectors, you know, family of refugees who got showered with Newcastle scarves and given 
match tickets for the next week for the cup, which we got beat two 0 by Watford. They even got photog- they even somebody gave them a painting of the Time Bridge because they felt they thought, well, you hope you're in Newcastle now, you need a photograph of the Time Bridge, <laughs> you know. Um, so I would say to all of the people who've helped us, just thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. This is this is Newcastle, man. This is the greatest and most civilized place on earth, and the response as ever has been exemplary and amazing. And I'd just like to thank everybody from the bottom of my heart for, for, for what they've done for their fellow citizens. I don't think anybody wants or needs anything from that apart from looking around at a community and thinking one day when it's us, when we need help, it'll be there. Um, so thanks to everybody. And yeah, we still need your help. But most of all, we want to be abolished as soon as possible. We don't want to be an institution. We want to be a memory. And, uh, and never, ever to be repeated. Well, thank you very much, Bill. Thanks for your time. Cheers, Alex. So that was Bill. What did people think? Well, that was, that was really powerful. I, mean, I kind of knew before mm-hmm. I listened to that because of what Bill was going to be talking about, that you know, there was going to be some quite tough stuff in there. Um, but my goodness, what a force of nature that man is. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of somebody that finds it very difficult to get up off his backside to do anything, um, you know, <laughs> to, to hear him talking about, you know, realizing there was a problem to say, right, what we're going to do about it? How are we going to fix it? So his, it, all he was saying about, you know, there, there are some things within our control, but the thing that is always within our control is how we respond to stuff. And that was that really that really struck home for me I, I think perhaps we've got another another key words to add to our uh, kind of list of important things so obviously with the Geordie Guide to happiness the happiness is one thing but people have often used the word contentment but I think I think we should add the word dignity oh absolutely yes um, yeah that was that was something that really um really made me sit up and listen kind of how he was talking about um the importance of dignity to well, there's a connection between dignity and happiness, I think. I think it's probably quite a complicated one. Uh, but the thing that it got me thinking about was, well, where does, you know, how, how do you find dignity? You know, where does it come from? And I think to a certain extent, you know, individually, you know, we can, we can find dignity for ourselves, but it's also a gift that you give to other people. And that's, that's really what I felt his work and the work of all the food banks in the area. And that's, that, that is what, that's the gift that they're giving. Yes, they're they're addressing people's needs, but it's this question of dignity at a time when people feel that that dignity has been taken away. It's really quite emotional. I really felt that when he was talking about the advent calendars. Yeah. Because it, yeah. at one point I was thinking advent calendars, and then he said the key the key to it was that the children all would have advent calendars and when they went to school they'd be on the level playing field with the other children in the class yeah and that yeah. really brought me up short I thought, mm. yeah, yeah. A, yeah a little piece of chocolate every day and you can talk about it and it was yeah. beautiful mm. really nice yeah rather than waiting till they're reduced they actually get them on the 1st of December when you're supposed yes. to start an advent calendar oh, yeah that was and tragic. Again, yeah Absolutely. links back to that dignity doesn't mm. it yeah mm. that that really stood out for me as well chris that that word dignity um and i think also he talks about how he doesn't want happiness for himself to the detriment of others mm. 
as well. So kind of using the current situation as an example, he, you know, he'd love to go out for a pint in the pub, mm. but he doesn't want to do that to the detriment of the health of others. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was a really insightful way of looking at happiness as well, which I've not heard before, I, I don't think really, but that was really interesting. There was, there was something else that I don't think I've heard before in any of these podcasts. I may have missed it, but use the word canny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I loved it. I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that sounds really nice. And and another word, because he did, he did cover this retrospective happiness concept that we've talked about in other, in other podcasts. After listening to him, I got a sense that he had sort of unconscious happiness. He, mm-hmm. he didn't. He didn't realize, I think, that he projects some sort of positive energy, because um, mm-hmm. he he was a little bit down on himself sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think it was very very unassuming. But I, I just thought, I would imagine if I met you, I would feel as though I was in the presence of a, a really positive energy, and no wonder people want to help with. As you see, it's a force of nature. Yeah. So, mm. it was, uh, mm. yeah. Well, thank you both. And thank you, Bill. Thank you, that Bill. was a fab interview. Yeah. yeah. So if you've been inspired by this podcast episode, then we would love to hear from you. Please do get in touch with your stories and opinions on what happiness means to you. You can get in touch via email, hello at thegeordieguidetohappiness.co.uk, or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at geordieguide or on Facebook, The Geordie Guide to Happiness. And as always, I want to give a shout out to our funders. This project wouldn't be possible without support from the Newcastle Cultural Investment Fund at the Community Foundation. So thank you so much for your support. So we've reached the end of another episode. We hope you've enjoyed listening to The Geordie Guide to Happiness so far. Take care and see you all again next week for another episode. (laughs) 